0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Our household is in final countdown mode right now. We are four weeks away from our son's wedding. It's the first wedding we have ever done. And in the middle of all of that, our daughter has gotten engaged. So now we've got two weddings coming up here. Um, but we're in final countdown mode with the first and uh, like a good husband and father of the groom, I have tried to stay completely out of it. <laughs> I just, you know, sign a check, okay, I'll sign a check, you know. Um, it, and unfortunately, you know, the first go-round, th- go it's not, uh, the big expense doesn't come with us. It's coming, you know, next year. But um, the thing is that we're in final countdown mode. This has been eight months in the planning and in the making. I mean, I have no idea how much was involved. Because I didn't know, I wasn't all that involved in my own wedding, you know. This is like, you know, you got to find the place, you got to get the caterer, you got to get the invitations, you got to pick the dress, you got to get the bridesmaid dresses, you got to plan this, you got to plan that. I mean, it takes forever to do this stuff. And now we're in final countdown mode. All of the invitations, the last of them have gone out, and we're just kind of waiting on the RSVPs because we've, you know, we sent out like, I don't know, a hundred and something, you know, but we've only got room for a hundred, so we're kind of waiting to see who's not going to come, you know. And I can really relate to a story that Jesus told. It's actually recorded in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is at a dinner party. He's at a feast. He's at a banquet. And as he has come to this feast, he's actually been invited by some very prominent Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. And at this feast, there were all these Pharisees, all these prominent teachers of the law, all gathered around, sitting at the table, and Jesus is there, and they're there watching him. And while they are watching him, he is watching them. And they're kind of jockeying for position. Who sits at the best seat? Who sits at the head of the table? Who sits at the foot of the table? Who fills in around the sides? And as he's watching this all take place, as everybody's kind of jockeying for their position at the table, he talks to them and he says, you know, when you have a dinner party, you shouldn't just invite your friends. You shouldn't just invite all those that you can hobnob with or network with or somehow make your life better by inviting them and maybe get invited to a better party later on down the line. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, he says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And out of the blue, one of these Pharisees comes up with this thing. When one of those at the table heard him say this, they said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will lead at the face of the kingdom of God. What? <laughs> That's kind of an out-of-the-blue comment. But Jesus, hearing it, said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Verse 22, Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is a real interesting story. And Jesus told a lot of stories in his ministry on this earth. They're called parables. Literally, it means to lay alongside, like the word parallel that we use a lot. He tells a story to tell another story. And on the surface, this is a story about a banquet and invitations and RSVPs and excuses. But on a deeper level, it's about something much more important. It's a story about God's kingdom. It's a story about God's desire. It's a story about God's passionate grace and extending an invitation to everyone. When Jesus told stories, he had a point to them. His stories were designed to point people toward the kingdom of God to help to understand what this kingdom looks like and what being a part of this kingdom would be like. And very often in the stories that he told, and he was a good storyteller, very often there is a twist in the story. He is talking about something very familiar. to them. They're sitting at a banquet. They're having a dinner party right here and now. In the middle of this dinner party, Jesus tells a story about another dinner party. And they all know what he's talking about because they all got invitations to this one. They all responded and they all showed up and they're sitting here at a table with him. And he's telling a story and they're very familiar. And there's a good story and they're listening to the story. And something happens that changes the story. And it's a turning point. And at that turning point, as in every turning point in Jesus' stories, people are faced with the decision. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to respond to this? This story is about pointing people to the kingdom of God. And the twist in the story is, will his hearers now make a decision? Will they respond to the party? Will they enjoy the kingdom of God? Or will they move away from it? And it's a story for us who our heart's desire is to see our friends and our family members discover the life that Christ has for them. It's a story about how we can point people to faith. And there's some very crucial issues here, some very key truths that we have to understand that Jesus is getting at in this story. And I want to look at it together with you this morning. The first is, if I can borrow a line from Tony Campolo, you need to understand that the kingdom of God is a party. (laughs) The kingdom of God is a party. Make no mistake. Verse 16 says, This host, this certain man, was preparing a great banquet. And he invited many guests. His intent was a party. A big party. A party that takes nine months to plan. (laughs) He's planning a huge, huge party. And you cannot overlook this point. He is throwing a huge party. And this is no small thing in Hebrew culture. In fact, the whole Hebrew calendar revolved around feasts and banquets and parties. And every one of these feasts were designed by God as a remembrance of what God had done. And a reminder of God's presence and His kingdom among you. And the whole Hebrew calendar centered around all of these feast days that were planned out throughout the year. Constant reminders that God is throwing a party. And in fact, when this one guy sitting at the party makes this comment, blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, what he is talking about is what everybody had expected. It's what the prophets had talked about for centuries. That God is planning a party. That the kingdom of God is celebration. The kingdom of God is all about remembrance and celebration and partying and feasting. And when he makes this comment, which just seems so off the wall, he is referring back to what all of the Pharisees there at the table know. That God's kingdom is about a party. The irony of it is the groom of the party, the key feature of the party is sitting there right among them, and they don't even know it. And what they're referring back to is the prophet. The prophet Isaiah talked about this. Isaiah 25, he wrote, "...the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food." For all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. That's the kingdom of God. It's a party. And we're not talking celery sticks, wheat thins, and two buck chuck. Okay? He's talking about a real party. The finest of meats, the best of foods, the best of wines. That is the kingdom of God it's all those foods you can't eat because you're watching your cholesterol. In fact, if you read it literally, it's the fatty foods. The stuff that really tastes good. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about celebration and about party and the richest of foods. And sadly, those who are sitting around that table don't know that. Though they have been told that, they don't recognize it. Because for them, the kingdom of God is rule-keeping and keeping in line and not screwing up. And if you do, then doing penance to make up for it. To them, the kingdom of God is a chore and a task and it's something that is a burden that you have to carry for the rest of your life. And Jesus is saying to them, remember that the kingdom of God is a party. Now sadly, Even to this day, religious people convey this idea that the kingdom of God is a chore. It is a task. It is a burden. And if you don't even understand this first point, there's no way in the world you're going to invite anybody to join the party. (laughs) Because if your life with Christ is a series of rules and regulations and chores and tasks to be accomplished, why would you invite anybody to that? And he wants us to understand that life in Christ is a party. It is a celebration. It's why we sing the way that we do around here. Now i got to tell you, the church that I grew up in, and it's changed, so I'll I'll give him props for that, but the church that I grew up in wasn't really a party. It really wasn't. Good people, lots of nice people. But there wasn't much of a party atmosphere. And I think in a lot of churches that's the case. We are known more by our do's and our don'ts, especially the don'ts. I mean, when you hear party animal, the first thought is not Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and the picture that we have portrayed to a world very much is in line with what we see coming back to us. The church later Saturday Night Live, you know? you <clears> think <throat> that special? And the kingdom of God is a celebration. It is a party. Now that is not to say that life in Christ does not sometimes have heartache and challenge and difficulty to it. Please don't misunderstand me. Nor am I saying just let ripping, rip and you know, go all out because it don't matter anyway. I'm not saying that either. What I am saying is, what do you really believe and live in your life with Christ? Is your life with Christ a series of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and chores and tasks and responsibilities? You see, I have learned, and one of the most liberating things in my whole life was to discover that it wasn't that. That what it was, was the freedom from my sin and my guilt and the shame that comes with it. It was the indwelling presence of Christ Himself with me by His Spirit. Where at any moment, in any circumstances of my life, to know that I'm not there alone. To discover a real strength to make life change, not by my own efforts, but by His work within me. And the life that I have in Christ is something that I truly believe is good for everybody. And that's the point that I want you to understand. We have got to believe that this life that God has given to us through the grace of Jesus Christ is a party, it's a celebration. Yes, sometimes it is challenging. Yes, sometimes it is terrifying. Yes, it is also fulfilling and meaningful and purposeful and grace-filled and love-filled and mercy-filled. And if we truly believe that, then we understand what we're inviting people to. To experience. The kingdom of God is a party. Life truly is better because of what Christ has done. And I think sometimes our hesitancy in sharing our faith and inviting other people to experience Christ is simply because deep down inside we feel like we're trying to sell swampland in Florida. Or that somehow we're trying to hook people into an Amway multi-level marketing program. If we just get them hooked, you know, then we got them. And nothing could be further from the truth. The Apostle Paul wrote about it this way, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You have no idea how good it is. And what you experience on this earth is just a taste of what it's really all about. The Kingdom of God is a party. And the second thing you need to understand is that God wants His party to be filled. He wants His party to be filled. That's the turning point in the story. He's telling the story and everybody's right along with Him. He sends out the invitations, everybody responds with their RSVPs, the party is being planned, and at the last minute things start coming together. In verse 17, at the time of the banquet He sent out a service to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready party time. Come on! And here's the twist in the story. The unexpected happens. Those who had been invited, it says, all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married and I can't come. Now understand... What they are doing is the height of rudeness and insult. Because they had already said they were coming. They had already RSVP'd, say yes, put me on the list, I'll be there. Just, you know, let me know when and I'll be there. Now, again, a little historical background would help a little bit here, because they didn't have clocks in that time. So when you planned a meal and you planned a party, especially a big party like this, you know, you didn't give the time. You just said, save the date. You know, save the date. Sometime on this day, we're having a big party and you're invited. And it's very important that you respond to the invitation because there's no refrigerator and there's no Tupperware. (laughs) So the leftovers are just going to rot and spoil. So the giver of the party needs to know how many to plan on and he's got to have it exactly or pretty close to exact because he wants to make sure there's enough food so they don't run out, but he doesn't want to have too much because he can't save the leftovers. So for someone to respond and say, yeah, I'll be there. And then when the time comes, turn around and say, sorry, I can't make it. That is the height of insult. You couldn't do anything worse in those days. They are insincere and their excuses are bogus. I mean, look at the excuse. I just bought a field and I got to go take a look at it. You don't buy a piece of property without looking at it first. You don't even do that here today. You sure didn't do it back in that culture in that time. Oh, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I gotta go try them out. That's like saying I bought a whole fleet of cars for my whole family and I haven't had a chance to test ride them yet. It's a lame excuse. It's insincere. And the last guy. I just got married. Well, you can do with that one what you want. But it's a bogus excuse. It's insincere. It's invalid. At best, at worst, what's really going on here is they don't want the party to happen. They're trying to squash the party. Because see, every one of these guys know they're on the A-list. They're A-list invitees. After all, nobody would have a party without me. You see, very often, parties were thrown as a way to kind of hobnob and to network. And to build relationships and help somebody out so they can help you out, kind of a thing. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And you invited people of equal social stature or better. And so these people that have been invited, they're like A-listers. And so what's really going on here is something far more sinister and subversive. What they're saying is, go ahead and try and have a party without me. They're not just giving lame excuses. They're actually trying to undermine what the host is trying to do. Now, let me ask you a second question this morning. How do you look at the people in your life? Because the truth of the matter, every one of us has A-lists and B-lists and C-lists and D-lists. How do you look at the people in your life? Because you see, as the story is being told and it comes back to him that these guys all make excuses, what the host of the party says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. All these people who can do nothing in return. Go bring them in. Now, I don't know if you read that the way I do, because my first reading of that was like, Well, okay, he's settling, you know. He invited the A list people, they don't show up so well, you know, okay, we'll invite these other people instead. If that is what you are thinking, you have missed the point. Because the point of the story is, Jesus is trying to exactly combat that kind of thinking. Because the point of the story is, it's all about grace. It doesn't matter who's on the invitation list. What matters is the party that's being thrown. That's the key element here. It doesn't matter if they're A-list, B-list, C-list or on down the line people. What matters to the host is that his party hall is filled. And it's the message of grace. Think about these people. Who is it that have now been invited? These are the beggars. These are the people that have nothing to offer in return. There's no networking with these people. You're not going to get a housewarming gift from these people. There is no possibility to get reciprocation. There is no possibility to get any benefit out of bringing these people along. Because that's not the point. The point is there is a party. And everybody is invited. It is all about grace. Unexpected grace. Undeserved grace. And that's the kingdom of God. Because the truth of the matter is that every one of us in this room are B-list or C-list or D-list people. We are the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. We are the ones who have nothing to offer to the giver of this party. We are simply there because we got invited. And it's not about what we bring to the table. It's all about the party that's been planned for us. It is all about grace. So who, how do you look at the people in your life? How do your rankings and your lists stack up? Because Jesus said, it's not about the invitation list. It's all about the party. The Apostle Paul wrote about it this way. From now on, we don't look at anyone the way the world does. When you have been a recipient of God's grace, you can't possibly look at people the same way. You just can't. You just can't. The story's not over. There's one more scene to the story. And it gets to the third key truth I want you to get this morning. God has given us the job of inviting. God has given us the job of inviting. The host is not satisfied with 80% capacity. The host isn't satisfied with 90% capacity. The host is not satisfied with 99% capacity. Because as long as there is one empty chair, there is one more person that needs to get invited. Because his goal is that his party hall would be filled. That's what he says. So when the servant comes back to him and says, Sir, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room, the only response he could possibly have is this. The master told the servant, Go out of the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. Not 80% full, not 90% full, full, to the rim, standing room only. Everybody gets in on the party. Go invite perfect strangers that you don't even know. People who are traveling from one city to another and they come down the country road. Grab them and bring them in. (laughs) Because there's a party. And everybody gets in on the party. That's God's desire. Every one of us in this room who consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ came because somebody invited us. Every one of us. Somebody invited us. Because people come to faith one at a time. People take steps of faith one at a time. People discover the grace of Jesus Christ and the life-transforming power of His Spirit within them one at a time. And for everyone that needs to make that discovery, there's got to be someone that will invite them. And so it's up to you and to me. That is our task. That is the job that He has given to us. To invite. I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. (laughs) It's not that hard. Well, I wouldn't know what to say or what if they ask me questions about. Well, find the answers. But the point that Jesus wants to make here is, not only that He's throwing apart and He wants it filled, but ultimately it's up to us to do the inviting. And He uses a word here, compel. Compel them to come in. And I want to address that a little bit, because I want you to understand, you can't force faith down somebody's throat. That's not what He is talking about here. Compelling has to do with coming alongside and answering the questions or helping remove the barriers that people have and there are people in your life that have barriers to their faith some of their barriers involve doubt and if you would come alongside and seek together with them for answers to their questions you could help them come to the party some of them have barriers perceived barriers because of a bad experience at a church back in their childhood or in their teenage years or some other time in their life and you could come alongside and say it's not all like that and you can help remove that barrier. That is our job. And when he talks about compelling them to come in, it's the very same words that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5. Christ's love compels us. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. This message of reconciliation, he's given it to us. So here's my third question for you this morning. Where are the empty chairs in your life? Where are the empty chairs in your life? And to kind of help illustrate that this morning, I've got Joe helping me out. Because I want you to think of this in reality. This is an office chair, a desk chair, might be a coworker of yours. A co-worker of yours who is going through a rough time. The pressures of the job are eating him up. He's working overtime. She's working overtime. Hard to see the family. And their schedule is so hectic they got no time for God. But you could take that co-worker to lunch and just develop a relationship and get to know them I listen to their hopes and their dreams and their desires and their questions and their hurts. And in love of Christ, compel them to a party. I'll give you another chair. Thank you, Joe. Some of you have a chair like this, might be a different color. (laughs) But you sit in this chair every Saturday afternoon as your child plays soccer. (laughs) Or Tuesday and Thursday evenings when they're at practice. And you sit on the sidelines in a chair just like this. And probably right next to you is another chair, again of a different color, but pretty similar. And that's occupied by a single mom. Who sits in her chair and watches her son practice soccer. And she starts talking to you about how hard it is to be a single parent. And how so much of her time just seems to be running around taking kids from this to that and the other. And it would sure be nice if I even had a life. But I don't. And it sure would be nice if my husband would come through with the check but he doesn't. Because he's found someone else and he's moved on with his life kind of falling apart for me right now. And you could sit in that chair next to that single mom. Tell her, You know there's someone who loves you. There's a God who sees your circumstances. He sent His Son to give His life so that you would have a richness and a fullness in spite of the stuff you're going through. it's another empty chair another chair it's a patio chair probably have one like this in your backyard it's right there around the table next to the barbecue chances are someone new has moved into your neighborhood this year this past summer or you have moved into a new neighborhood or you have lived in this neighborhood for seven years and you still don't know your neighbors because you drive in and you wave to them as you push the button and your garage door opens and you drive in close behind you and you've never had a face-to-face conversation with this person you know them by sight, you don't even know their name but you could go to their house this afternoon and say you know, I've lived here five years and we wave each other they wave to each other all the time but I've never gotten a chance to know you Why don't you come over this afternoon for a barbecue? Let's just get to know each other, neighbor. Maybe it's not your patio chair. Maybe it's a kitchen chair or a dining room chair. But it represents a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker that you could open up your home and fill an empty chair. One more chair this morning. This one takes two. Thank you, guys. This is the back bench in your SUV or your minivan. (laughs) Your kids sit in this chair. You can tell because there's still French fries in the cracks here. and (laughs) Spilled soda and it's not quite as nice looking as it was when you first bought it. But your kids sit in this chair. But you've only got two kids. So there's really a third seat here that's empty. It's a seat that could be filled by one of their friends from school. Or one of the neighborhood kids. Who would love to come to Kids World... Or sit in with our kids' kids groups on Sunday morning. And have fun. And meet other, and other kids and play together and learn together about Jesus. And they got a parent, a mom or a dad, a whole family that could be reached and invited to a party. If you could just see the empty space there between the two kids that are your own. Look around you. Not far from where you are sitting right now is an empty chair. And there's someone that you know and that you love, and you wish you could somehow explain to them what you have discovered through Jesus Christ. And you're not sure how to do it, you're not even sure where to begin, but you love them. And you wouldn't want them to miss out on the party. What I'd like you to do, in the bottom of your outline, there are three blanks. You can tell because they're numbered one, two, three. Who's on your invitation list? I'd like you to write them down. I want you to put feet to this. Who's on your invitation list? It might be your brother, your sister, family member of some kind. It might be a neighbor. It might be a co worker. Do it now. I'll wait. Who needs to be on your invitation list? Who needs to know that there is a party that God has planned for them? Who needs to experience this life that you have found? because of the grace of God extended to you not that you deserved it you didn't but you could invite someone else to the party I'd like you to write those names down because you were on somebody's invitation list once somebody invited you because of that your life has been changed so who could you invite As we close in prayer, I want you to pray for those three people and begin praying for those three people over the next number of weeks and months. In a couple of months, we hope to move into a new space. The space that we have said all along we are preparing not for ourselves, but for other invitees. And it's a bigger space than what we got now. And it's going to have more chairs than what we have now. But just building the building and providing the chairs doesn't mean people will come. People come when they're invited. Building itself doesn't do it. The chairs themselves, all the preparations had been done for the party. But the people needed to be invited. So begin praying and looking for opportunities and building relationships and taking the genuine interest in somebody so that you could bring them to the party. Would you bow your heads with me? It may be that you are here this morning because somebody invited you. Maybe it's your first time in church in your life. Maybe it's your first time in a long, long time. And you got barriers, and you got questions, and you got doubts. But you're here this morning because something down deep inside is saying you need to discover what this is all about. And maybe something that was shared this morning helps you better understand what the grace of God is all about. That Jesus Christ already paid the price to forgive your sin. He has already prepared a banquet and he has an invitation list and there are chairs around that table and one of them has your name on it. And he's saying to you right now, because you can hear him, it's like the Spirit of God is burning inside of you, saying this is for you, this is about you, you've been standing on the sidelines watching other people go to the party, oh you've walked by and nibbled a bit, but you never entered in, and this morning it's time. To respond to the invitation and say yes, Lord. That's what I'm hungry for. That's what I need. That's what I want. If that describes you, as we close in prayer, everybody else has their eyes closed, so you don't have to be nervous and you know feel you know a little anxious about this. But would you just look up and catch my eye because I want to pray with you and for you as we close this morning. If you're ready to take that step of faith and say, yeah, I want to get in on the party. Look up. Keep looking until I see you and acknowledge you because I'd like to pray with you. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. Good. Lord, Lord, you have created for us A life that we cannot even imagine. And we get tastes of it now and then. But the big party is still to come. We want to be in on it. And for those who responded this morning, Lord, you know their heart. You know what's going on. And I pray that they would know that you've heard their cry. And you've brought them life. And there's a new beginning because of it. They are a part of this celebration and for those names that are on our own invitation lists the people that we long to see become a part of your kingdom and to celebrate and enjoy life the way you intended it give us opportunities give us boldness give us the right words when we stammer and stutter because we don't know what to say so that your party house may be full for it's in Jesus name that we pray this Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.